You're listening to Forward the Hamlet, coming straight out of Dulwich. I'm Jack McInroy, and on this week's episode, we'll be rounding up the action from Dulwich's last four games and taking a look at the life and career of Dulwich Hamlet legend Tommy Jova. So since the last episode, Dulwich beat Peacehaven 3-1 at Champion Hill, uh, the highlight of the game being Ashley Carew's sublime free kick into the top corner, stroking the inside netting, beautiful goal. That was followed by a 2-0 win over Lewis. Nyron Clunis uh, got the first goal and then went on to, at the very least, dislocate his shoulder. Uh, he's not played since, so uh, possibly worse. Uh, you could see him uh, sort of doing windmills with his right arm for at least five minutes afterwards and then running along with his arm just hanging by his side. It was a tough game. Every Lewis player was over six foot by my reckoning. Yeah, it was very close. But in injury time, Abdul Mansouré ran the length of the half and squared the ball to Xavier Vidal, who had won the initial header and run alongside him, who uh, put into an empty net. You can see highlights of that game on footballexclusives.co.uk. Kevin James was missed, also lacking up front a bit. Lauren Hamichi looks like he's got great technique, a lot of desire. He needs to start scoring goals, really. It looks like he's lacking a... A bit of dynamism, really. You know, that little burst of speed or just being clinical in front of goal. Ashley Paul Robinson has already come and gone for similar reasons of uh, maybe immobility. Harry Ottaway was seen behind the goal eating sushi at half-time. Uh, the sooner he's back, the better, really. On Bank Holiday Monday, Dulwich lost 2-0 away at Leverhead. Here's Hugo Greenhouge with more. There was a fair amount of optimism as Dulwich travelled to Leatherhead on Bank Holiday Monday. We were five games unbeaten and been playing fairly well, but arriving in the pouring rain, something didn't seem quite right and the game didn't go particularly well for Dulwich. We conceded fairly early on by a very nice chip over Enigo Echepare, who was starting in goal ahead of uh, the injured Phil Wilson. Yeah, the squad looks really stretched at the moment, actually. A number of key players out, Samuels, James, McDonald, Lodge, Ottaway, Clunis, all unavailable for this game. Abdul Mansouré started on the wing and to be fair to him, he did, he did all right, but he's much more sort of player who will have an impact off the bench rather than starting, especially in these torrid conditions that Dulwich faced uh, away at Leatherhead. We had a few chances to equalise. Nigel Nater hit one wide and Carew had a decent free kick that was saved. But generally, Leatherhead soaked up the pressure really well and they led at half-time. We came out fighting in the second half but couldn't break through and Leatherhead scored their second goal with a well-taken diving header. It was rather telling that the players we brought on in the second half were Emmanuel Stephen, Kareem Boyle and Emiliano Heisey, who probably have about five senior appearances between them. Clearly the squad depth and the amount of injuries is a bit of concern at the moment and Gavin has brought in a midfielder, Baggison Graham, from Chelmsford City. Uh, he played quite a few games them last season and hopefully he can provide some experience and cover while uh, the other players are on the mend. We've got a really tough game against Margate on Tuesday night and I think the likes of Terrell Forbes and Ashley Carew really need to step up and be counted for if we're going to get anything out of this game. And Dulwich lost again on Saturday against Billericay. Bagger Sam Graham scored a goal on his debut to put Dulwich in the lead, but Dulwich were turned over 2-1. Still a load of players out. And as Hugo said, 
They really need to get things back on track against Margate. By the turnstiles at Champion Hill, there's a photo of Edgar Kale next to a photo of Che Guevara with the caption, Left Wingers. Kale was, of course, an inside right. Dulwich's greatest left winger is a man who has a stand name after him, Tommy Jover. I spoke to Jack McEnroy Sr., editor of the Hamlet Historian magazine, and my father, about Jover. Tommy Jover is um, a post-war Dulwich Hamlet legend. Little guy, about five foot eight. I met him quite a few times towards the end of his life. Very modest guy, talking about you know what he did and achieved at the club. Now his background is um, a bit strange because he um, comes from a family of several generations of circus acrobats. And on his mother's side, I think they were like daring bareback riders as well that were involved in the, in the circus. And this was in Spain. I think it's got a Spanish um, heritage. There was a, the mirthful Jovers, sometimes known as the comical Jovers, uh, other times known as the grotesque Jovers. Tommy, not to be confused with his cousin or his uncle, because there was another Tommy Jover that worked with the same troupe. And he, were, he ended up being a female impersonator. But they were obviously some sort of comedy, trapeze, acrobat uh, act. And they performed in the old music halls in, in, uh, in and around Europe. The Murphal Jovers' success took them all the way to the 1922 Royal Variety performance at the Hippodrome, where they performed in front of King George V and Queen Mary. Tommy Jover grew up in uh, Balham, went to school in the area and uh, was quite a good athlete as uh, a teenager and uh, joined the Hearn Hill Harriers and became a sprinter and won medals and was, um, was a top runner um, in his day. Uh, but when he was um, about 17 or 18, he joined Dulwich Hamlet. Not as a junior, a lot of players started off as juniors, but he went straight into the reserves. He had a trial, went to reserves. But he sort of came at a time when we had some top players and, and Dulwich were a really great side. They'd won the Amateur Cup in 1932 and 1934 and he joined at the end of 1936-37 season, start, start of that season. They went on to win the Cup that year, the Amateur Cup, which was the biggest prize on offer for, for non-league sides. He had one or two games filled in, didn't play in the final. He was once described as poetry in motion. I remember there's a guy at Dulwich, an old guy uh, called Ralph Hopkins, who, who used to watch him every week. And he, he, he remembers him running in like an arc you know, from, from the left wing, taking the ball into, into the area, scoring and completing that arc back round um, to the circle, you know. And he said it was poetry in motion. I think he was top scorer in 1937-38 season. I think he had 27 goals. And then in the following season, 38-39, he scored 13 goals in 14 games. So this, this was uh, you know, a fantastic player, especially from the left wing. But he was also playing with um, some great Hamlet players. And two in particular, one was one guy called Bill Parr and another Reg Anderson that they were they were brilliant and these two guys both lost their lives um, during the war in the next few years Tommy himself joined the RAF 
and he was mostly based in England. I don't think he went out of the country. And they kept him there because he was such a good footballer. And he was in um, the same uh, platoon or squadron or whatever they have as Bill Shankly, the legendary Bill Shankly, I should say, and a couple of Arsenal players and some others. So he was in, he was in um, the RAF side with some brilliant um, footballers. And he was playing for the RAF um, against other representative sides, service sides. But when he could, he would uh, get down to Dulwich Hamlet and he'd always be picked inside. And he scored, he scored lots of goals throughout the war period, but none of them count, of course. Dulwich had, had a good period um, in the late 40s, um, winning the league in 48-49, uh, was it? And then in 1950, they won the London Senior Cup for the first time in ages. And he played in the match there. By then, he was he was getting a bald head. And so when you, when you see photographs of the team, you just look for the guy with a bald head and, and um, you've got Tommy Jover. Just after the war, he scored 36 goals in a season, which is still a post-war Dunwich Hamlet record. He has not been beaten, not by the likes of Amari Coleman or Oz Toomer came close in the last couple of seasons until he, he received an, an injury. But um, Tommy Jover's post-war record still stands. In the late 1940s and early 50s, uh, television had started to become uh, the big thing. And obviously in 1953 you had the coronation when everybody started to buy a television set. Well, they, they began to televise football on a Saturday afternoon live and they chose Champion Hill to record some of the games. And I think he played in at least two of the three games at Champion Hill. He might have played in all of them. The first one was a game against Leightonstone, um, I think it was 1949. And it was a 4-4 draw. So it must have been amazing to watch on the television. When you think of um, Match of the Day, you know, celebrating 50 years of it at the moment, and um, and you see Kenneth Walston home hosting that first match of the day. Welcome to Saturday afternoon football. Well, Kenneth Walston home, 15 years earlier, had been in the Dulwich Hamlet dressing room uh, talking to some of the players and um, he, at the time I think he was a radio commentator and he wasn't perhaps as well known but he was talking to um, to, to the players about the game uh, the 4-4 draw with Leightonstone if I remember rightly. In 1956 Jover retired and his final season at Dulwich was a memorable one. At the age of 38 he scored two goals in the quarter-final of the FA Amateur Cup against West Auckland Town. The crowd at Champion Hill was 13,500 and there were 27,000 at Stamford Bridge for the semi-final against Corinthian Casuals, which Dulwich lost 3-1. Not a bad swan song. Excluding the war years, Jova played 385 times for Dulwich and scored 236 goals, all from the wing. Tommy won lots of uh, different honours um, while he was at the club. He, he played for the Espion League representative team, he played um, for the London FA, Surrey FA and, and so on. So he picked up lots of different honours. But one that eluded him was the cap for England. And, and when I say England, I'm talking about the England amateur team. 
basically his boss wouldn't let him have the time off work to uh, travel abroad for um, three or four days uh, to pick up um, a cap for England against Belgium or France, I think it was. If you're an amateur footballer, you, your day job could be anything. You'd be a butcher, baker, plumber um, during the day and a, and a you know, footballer on a Saturday. And, and Tommy Jover worked for a shipping agency I think he left school and joined the shipping agency and was still there when he retired. I don't know if it was the same one, but he was certainly in the same line of business for all that that time. Jova may not have represented England at football, but he was part of the Great Britain team for the 1946 European Athletics Championships in Oslo. At this point, he was the Surrey 100-yards champion and ran in the 4x100-yards relay. Britain won the heat and came fifth overall, and Thomas Jova's name was alongside John Archer, who was part of the team that won silver in the same event at the London Olympics two years later. So after he finished playing, he sort of joined the committee at the club and, and probably had different roles. And then he went on to become the club secretary for a number of years. And eventually um, he was uh, unanimously voted to be the club president. That was in 1985. Uh, a role that he kept until his death in 2008. And there haven't been a great many presidents um, of the club. Paul Wilson, of course. Um, but the, the situation is vacant now, and it's been vacant at other times in the club's history for long periods. Tommy Jova died in 2008 at the age of 91. He made his debut against Ilford in 1936, scoring two goals, and went on to serve Dulwich Hamlet for an incredible 72 years. There was a minute's silence before the FA Cup tie against Broxbourne Borough, and the main stand at Champion Hill was renamed in his honour. There was a great crowd of footballers from that time who, who stayed with the club, you know, it, it, for donkey's years, and they're, they're all they're all passing away now. People like Les Green and um, uh, John Gornall. Uh, Claude Whitworth, Cyril Nash, Dennis Joyce, people like that. They're, they're this great crowd of, of, of guys who would meet up every every week um, and, and talk about the old days. And I remember, you know, sitting at a table with them once um, in the boardroom and, and sort of moving salt cellars around. You know, as players, you know, this is what happened, and this is when Tommy scored this goal, and he ran into the crowd and, and all the rest of it. Great fun. I remember. Um, when we unveiled the blue plaque to Edgar Cale, uh, we asked Tommy Jover if he would do the honours and, uh, and pull the strings. And I gave a little bit of a speech, introduced Tommy Jover. And, and he, he, he himself made a sort of speech for a minute or so. And every fact that he mentioned about Edgar Cale was wrong. <laughs> It was quite funny at the time because I'm thinking he's telling me how, how many goals he scored. And I think that's wrong. How many appearances he played? That's wrong. What year he started? That's wrong. And everything he said was wrong. Bill Azzi was filming that day, and while the audio quality is not great, this is a rare chance to hear Tommy Jover speak, and you'll be able to pick out a few intelligible words here and there. I knew Four times, and it would be four international professional clubs, and uh, 
You meet people all the time, old people, and they still mention Tommy Jover. And yeah, you, know, you last played in 1956. I was emailing a guy recently, and and he about Dudley Chamlet, and he's and he said, "Oh, my dad just asked me. He says, how's Tommy Jover getting on these days?'" He said he used to watch uh, Dulwich in the um, 40s and when he was a teenage boy he wrote a poem about about Dulwich and, and Tommy Jove was mentioned in the poem. And he actually he actually read uh, wrote the lines out, you know, in, in his poem. I can't remember him now, but um, something like, We Love Dulwich Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> it was We Love Dulwich Hamlet. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they, 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 they put the ball in the goal net. First came Cal, then came Jova, Dusty Miller put it over, or something like that. You'll be able to grab back issues of the Hamlet Historian from my dad at the Hampton and Richmond Borough game on Saturday. Little bloke, glasses. It's non-league day, and it's pay what you like at Champion Hill, so let everybody know and come along with friends. Our website is forwardthehamlet.com. We're on Twitter at forwardthehamlet. You can email us forwardthehamlet at gmail.com, and you can buy a t-shirt from forwardthehamlet.spreadshirt.co.uk. On Saturday, just gone, the Friends of Dogkenna Hill Wood put on a film night showing 14 Edwardian films shot at the Gaumont Studios in Camberwell. It was a fantastic night, a magical window into the past. One of the highlights was a short film from 1909 called How Percy Won the Beauty Contest, which is the first film recording of Champion Hill Stadium by some distance. On my other podcast, South London Hardcore, we talked in depth about the night and the films that were shown and the studios that was on Champion Hill. You can hear it on iTunes and at southrunhardcore.com where you can also watch How Percy Won the Beauty Contest and see Champion Hill back in 1909. Ford the Hamlet is part of the Holdfast Network. (laughs) 